Okay, we're reading from Song of Songs, um, chapter 8, and that's on page 584 of those church Bibles. And there might be a couple of little extras sitting on chairs if people don't have them. So, chapter 8. If only you were to me like a brother who was nursed at my mother's breasts, then if I found you outside, I would kiss you and no one would despise me. I would lead you and bring you to my mother's house, she who has taught me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the nectar of my pomegranates. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the tree I roused you, there your mother conceived you. There she who was in labour gave you birth. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. We have a little sister, and her breasts are not yet grown. What shall we do for our sister on the day she is spoken for? Is she, if she is a wall, we will build towers of silver on her. If she is a door, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. I am a wall, and my breasts are like towers. Thus I have, come in, have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Hamon. He let out his vineyard to tenants. Each was to bring for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver. But my own vineyard is mine to give. The thousand shekels are for you, Solomon, and two hundred are for those who tend its fruit. You who dwell in the gardens with friends in attendance, let me hear your voice. Come away, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the spice-laden mountains. Thanks, Rach. Good morning, my name's Andrew, one of the pastors here at Sydney Hill. It's great you can join us for church this morning. Please keep uh, that part of God's Word open. Uh, if you're new or visiting, uh, that might have sounded really strange. I'm just going to put it out there. Every time I get up to preach during this series, I kind of get a funny look from the Bible reader as I step down. They kind of give me this kind of good luck uh, look as I get down. Um, uh, just to bring you up to speed, uh, just quickly, Song of Songs is part of God's Word. It's part of God's good Word for His people. Uh, and it gives us God's wisdom uh, for how to do uh, love, sex, and relationships well in His world. So that's what we're doing. Uh, this is our last uh, talk in the series. Uh, so we've got a Q&A, um, which uh, there's a chance to even submit questions as we go. Uh, but I probably should give you a, a, a warning up front. Uh, some of the questions for the Q&A are quite direct. If you catch my drift, we're talking about love, sex, and relationships. Uh, and there might be some direct answers. Uh, so uh, if you have children with you or whatever, um, exercise your wisdom there. Um, you've been warned. So there we go. Uh, okay. I'm also just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. 
You know the movie? No? What? Notting Hill, that's right. Who said it? Julia Roberts. Uh, I feel like it wouldn't be a series of song, on Song of Songs without at least one reference to a romantic comedy for you. Uh, so there we are. I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking her to love him. What's the response? Do you remember the response? It's like that, right? It's crickets, right? Uh, no response. Hugh Grant doesn't say anything. She just walks out. Uh, declaring your love for someone, it's a risky business. It's a risky business. If you're going to put those three words out there, I love you, are they going to reciprocate? Are they going to be freaked out? Will they awkwardly change the subject? Will they pretend they misheard you and say, oh yeah, I like you too? (laughs) When someone utters those words, I love you, what are they actually saying to you? What are they saying? What does it mean to love someone? What even is love? It's a notoriously tricky thing to define if you sit down and try and do it. Uh, Now, it's only taken us um, until our fourth week in the Book of Song of Songs uh, to get the romantic comedy out, Uh, but it's also taken us this long before we've actually stumbled across in the Song of Songs a definition of love. Uh, We've seen pictures of love all the way through the book. Uh, The Song of Songs, it's a a love song that describes a a, a couple relating well. And we've seen the couple's desire for the the other's good. We've seen uh, them putting the other's needs above their own. We've seen uh, the desire for them to look after each other's safety. We've seen all these pictures of love along the way. Uh, But this morning, as our song finishes, as all the characters kind of reappear again, we kind of get this final chorus And they've all got something to say, all got something to contribute about the nature of love. And what we see here, as we look at God's Word, is we see God's design for love, it is three things. It is permanent, it's protective, and it's persistent. It's a permanent, protective, persistent drive or desire or seeking the good of the other person. The good of the other person. A permanent, protective persistent desire for their good, for their joy, for their safety, for their security, for their flourishing as a follower of Jesus. So number one, love is permanent. Uh, Who starts uh, the finale here? Uh, Well, the first thing we see in uh, verse 5 is the girlfriends, that is the woman's friends. And they begin with this delightful snapshot of love. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 5, have a look there with me. Uh, Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Uh, we have the couple, they, they enter the scene and they, they come like Israel coming out of the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And we get this picture of love that is not erotic. We're not thinking about sex here. It's a picture of two people leaning on each other. It's like two young lovers who are out on a date night and they just keep talking and talking and talking and, and they've got lost complete track of time until the manager throws them out at midnight. Or it's a picture of the couple who, uh, who for 60 years have been walking laps together of the same local park year after year, just leaning on each other in trustful dependence. And here we hear the, the woman reminisce about her love. Now look at verse 5, uh, the rest of verse 5. Uh, Under the apple tree I, arou- I roused you, uh, there your mother conceived you, there she who was in labor gave you birth. Okay, now lots of action happened under the apple tree, it seems. But we've got to remember this is poetry, Okay, Uh, In poetry, the orchard or the apple tree, uh, it's a picture of this sacred, beautiful, fruitful love. And what she's saying here is that she is so thankful that his parents 
found that love. And he is a result of their love. And now this couple are sitting under the same tree and they're experiencing the same love. And God willing, that family tree will continue. And so what she's saying to her beloved is she's saying, I don't want to fling. I'm looking for permanent love. A steadfast love that blesses future generations uh, as they have been blessed by those who have gone before them. Uh, For those of you who are married, have you ever thought about the greatest gift you could give your children? The greatest gift you can give your children is a model of steadfast love. A healthy and stable marriage. A picture of a husband and a wife loving and serving one another working through their difficulties and coming out the other side stronger. A healthy and stable marriage that teaches the children that they're not the centre of the universe, that they're not the centre of mum and dad's world. That's the best thing you can give to your kids. Model them a strong, jealous, permanent love. And then look at verse 6. She says... Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for the love is as strong as death. It's jealousy as unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Uh, Now, in the ancient world, a person's seal uh, was pretty valuable. It was made of precious metal or gems, and you kept your seal close. Uh, You either kept it around uh, a chain on your neck or you kept it as a ring on your finger. And your seal, it represented you. If you stamped your seal on a document, you were committed. If you stamped it on an object, uh, you owned it. Uh, And see what it says there. It says, place me like a seal over your heart. She's saying, let there be a permanent bond of commitment from the very core of our being. Let it be over your heart. And then she says, like a seal on your arm. Uh, Let this be a public commitment. If it's on your arm, then everyone can see it. Because this permanent, committed love that uh, God's Word is talking about here, it needs to be both. It needs to be both internal and external. You can't just have a ring on your finger and no love in your heart. And you can't just feel lots of love in your heart without making this public commitment. Uh, we, uh, we also see how feelings can be so fickle. But that's not what Song of Songs is talking about. Song of Songs is talking about a love that is stronger than a hit of dopamine. Stronger, it says, as stubborn as death, it says. No human being here, it says, none of us can resist the power of death. And love, as intended by God, has that same power. The Bible says here, it's a fire that cannot be extinguished. And it's also jealous. Uh, It's not jealous in that really negative sense that demands an exclusivity that's inappropriate. It's not like that. It's a totally appropriate jealousy. It's a a passionate commitment to the other alone, to the exclusion of all others. And so this picture of love that we get here, it is idealistic, yes, and no. You see, what Song of Songs does is it presents to us love at its best, love at its its pinnacle. It's not Netflix Netflix lust. It's not a one-night stand. It's not, I'll love you until I get a better offer. No, the picture here is of committed self-giving, exclusive, lifelong, passionate love. Till death does us part. Permanent love. Uh, If you're sitting next to your husband or wife today, uh, this ought to be a reminder of the public promises you made to them 
before God. To have and to hold, for better or worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. To love and to cherish, as long as we both shall live. It's a picture of permanent love. And if you're thinking about getting married, or you would like to get married, that's what you're signing up for. Big, lifelong, whole of being, permanent love, seeking the other's good over your own. But this song, it's not just idealistic, it's also realistic. Uh, Did you see that there in verse 7? Verse 7, we see the pressure. Many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot sweep it away. What verse 7 is doing is it's recognizing that there are forces that will push against this permanent self-giving love, that rivers will come and threaten it. I don't know whether you've ever tried to stand in a fast-flowing river, but it requires effort and concentration and perseverance so that you're not swept away with the flow. This sort of permanent love, it requires that sort of effort. But significantly, this grand picture of permanent love here in Song of Songs, it points beyond itself. It points beyond itself to God. Verse 6, see it there. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. It's a little bit opaque what's going on here. But in the original language, and if you look down in your footnotes, uh, you can probably see it there. It tells you what's actually being said in the original. It says this. It says, this love, it is like a blazing fire, like the very flame of the Lord. Now, this is important. This is the only time the name of God is referred to in the whole of the book. And what it's saying is that if you look at a marriage at its best, if you look at these lovers in this book, they are a pale reflection of the love of God for us. Like the very flame of the Lord. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, he wrote this uh, essay. It's an interesting title, Meditations in a Toolshed. Uh, But he said this about uh, this kind of, uh, the way that a marriage might reflect uh, the love that God has for us. He says this, C.S. Lewis says this, I was standing today in the dark tool shed. The sun was shining outside and through a crack at the top of the door, there came a sunbeam. From where I stood, that beam of light with the specks of dust floating in it, it was the most striking thing in the whole place. Everything else was almost pitch black. I was seeing the beam I was seeing the beam only, not seeing things by the beam. And then I moved so that my eyes fell on, so the beam fell on my eyes. And instantly the whole previous picture vanished. I saw no tool shed, and above all, I saw no beam. Instead, I saw, framed in the irregular cranny at the top of the door, green leaves moving on the branches of a tree outside. And beyond that, 90-odd million miles away, I saw the sun. Do you see the point that Lewis is making here? He's saying that the ray shining in the darkness, it was beautiful. But when you put your eyes in the ray and you look up, you see the great source of the light itself. You see the sun. Now, Song of Songs is is saying that that marriage is great, it is beautiful, uh, but it is just a ray. It is just a ray. It's just a tiny snapshot of the love of God, his steadfast, permanent love to you. His love that has a blazing intensity that can never be extinguished. And lots of forces have tried to extinguish that that love that God has for us, didn't they? No more so than when Jesus came 
Yet on that cross, as, as those around him thought that they were extinguishing his life, the love of God was not extinguished. Actually, there on the cross, as he died for you, God's love was most supremely expressed. And it was stronger than death, wasn't it? This love is permanent. The next thing in uh, Song of Songs we see about God's design for love is that it's protective. Uh, Enter the brothers. These are the same brothers in verse 8 that we saw in chapter 1. Uh, and these brothers are concerned for their little sister. Uh, now, uh, I think it's likely that this is a flashback that the woman's having. She's remembering back to when she was growing up and she's looking back to early on in her life and she reflects on her brother's protective intent for her when she was young. Uh, verse 8, the brothers say, We have a little sister and her breasts are not yet grown. What shall we do for our sister on the day, on the day she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we'll build a towers of silver on her. If she is a door... We'll enclose her with panels of cedar. Now, what's going on there with towers and doors and walls? Um, I think what it's saying is that if she is a wall, that is, if she stops men coming in who are not invited, uh, if she stops men coming into her garden, which is uh, to, to her body, if she stops them coming in, those who are not invited, if, if she is a wall, doesn't let them in, then, then they will ornament her. They will strengthen her. They will build a beautiful silver tower. They'll, they'll increase her strength and beauty to prepare her for the day of her wedding. But if she is a door, if she is promiscuous, if she lets anyone come in at not the right time, then these brothers say that they will enclose her with panels of cedar. They will take steps to protect her, to, to help her resist temptation. Uh, now, to our ears, that doesn't sound very loving. Uh, to our ears, that sounds kind of Victorian or conservative or patriarchal. Uh, but the reason that sounds like that to us is because we've been more influenced by our culture than we have been by God's Word. We've been influenced by our culture that says, go for it, be happy, no limits, rather than God's good Word, which reminds us that sex in its right place is in marriage, a marriage that is safe, intimate, and exclusive. But in God's good world, um, we know, and these brothers know, that sexual desire is powerful. It's powerful. It's a powerful thing. You and me, we have the engines of a Ferrari, but the brakes of a scooter. And because the accelerator can be so much more powerful than the brakes, we need one another's help to control our sexual desires in a way that is good for us and good for others. Because we know that when it gets out of control, it can lead to terrible damage. Uh, the journalist Malcolm Mudridge, uh, he met a woman uh, at a party uh, and that woman shared with him that, uh, he, uh, that she had slept with the famous writer H.G. Wells. Mudridge, he's a journalist, he's a pretty direct fellow and so he, said, he asked her, how did that happen? Um, she told him that Wells approached her at another party and said, uh, shall we go upstairs and do something funny? Mudridge asked the woman, and was it funny? She replied, No, sir, it was not funny. That evening has caused me more grief than any other in my whole life. Please never think that sexual sin is just a small mistake of little consequence. Like it doesn't matter. 
No, sexual sin undermines future marriages. It undermines present marriages. Pornography trains your brain to treat another being as a performer for your pleasure. Now, wonderfully in the gospel, there is complete and utter forgiveness for all sin, even sexual sin. And we always need to remember that and delight in that and remind one another of that and forgive one another. But we also need to remember that this side of the new creation, there will be damage and scars will linger. And that is why here in God's wisdom, sexual desire is not a private matter. Her brothers will care for her in this. In our 21st century Kiwi culture, we say it's private, but in the Bible, our sexuality and our expression of it, it exists within a community of of God's people. A community of love where we seek to help one another remain faithful to God's word, where out of love we seek to protect one another from the dangers and destruction of this, of this powerful desire when it's used wrong. You see, sexual, sexual temptation, what it wants to do is it wants to remain in the shadows where sin likes to play. But no, God gives us others to help us with our desire, to help us with our Ferrari engines. And so we need to listen to God's word together on this. We need friends and we need, good, uh, we need family uh, who will speak graciously and honestly to us on this area. And as a church family, uh, we need to partner with one another. Um, as a parent of, of a teenage boy uh, and two other kids, I would deeply value your prayers as I seek to bring my kids up, as, as many of us seek to bring our kids up in this moral minefield And as a church, we need to help one another set protective walls. They may not be politically correct, but they may help us navigate these tricky times. As a church, we also need to celebrate purity. We need to celebrate singleness. We need to celebrate waiting for the right time. And we need to celebrate grace for those who have failed. That's protective love. But the song, it doesn't lay all the responsibility on the others, does it? Uh, The woman, she takes responsibility for herself. I love it there in verse 10. She says, verse 10, I'm a wall. She's committing, I'm a wall. I have protected myself. I have not let anyone in. Now, this hasn't been easy for this woman. She's grown up in a world where men like Solomon, uh, like men today, they use their power uh, to fulfill their sexual urges. But this woman has worked hard protecting, waiting, trusting God and his wisdom. And her experience here of being a wall, it is in in contrast against Solomon. Now, Solomon, he was seen as the greatest and wisest man to ever live, but he failed spectacularly in this area. Uh, The King uh, King Solomon, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Uh, Remember early on, we we, we said that... uh, uh, one of the possible origins for the Book of Song of Songs is Solomon writing kind of at the end of his life about, about a relationship that he never got to experience because he stuffed up so spectacularly. He failed epically to live out God's good design. And so he missed out. He missed out on experiencing love and relationships and intimacy as God intended it. So he wrote this as a warning for us. Uh, there's, there's a theory that he might even, uh, this might have been him reflecting on uh, who was going to be wife number 61, but she said no. Uh, and so he watched that relationship flourish while his world was in ruins. The woman in this book might be wife number 61. Because see what happens here. 
In the finale of this Song of Songs, the woman contrasts herself to King Solomon. Verse 11, Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Hamon. Uh, it's never great in the Bible if you've got something that's in Baal. Uh, uh, he, who, he let out his vineyard to tenants. Each was to bring for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver. Now Solomon's vineyard here, it's his harem, his, his vast array of women. The guy had sexual pleasure whenever he wanted it, and he was adding regularly to that harem by making offers to families they could not refuse. A thousand pieces of silver for your girl. Wife number 701, come on down. But there is one woman who told Solomon where he can stick his shekels. She said, don't try and buy me, verse 12. Verse 12, but my own vineyard is mine to give. The thousand shekels are for you, Solomon, and 200 for those who tend its fruit. Solomon can keep his silver. Her vineyard is her own to give. And you notice the name of, of Solomon's vineyard? It's located. Solomon's world of sexual pleasure is Baal Hamon. His promiscuous lust is linked to this false god. But the woman, her protective permanent love is linked to the name of the Lord, Yahweh. The flame of Yah. And so she sits here, not jealous, of, not jealous of Solomon, the wisest, wealthiest, most uh, able to fulfill all of his sexual desires. She's, she sits there, she, she, she sees him and she is not jealous at all. Oh, sure, Solomon, you've got all these women, but I'm not jealous of you because I have experienced contentment and commitment that you'll never experience because I have followed God's wisdom in this way. She knows that her God is not a killjoy. She knows that her God knows what is good for her. He created her. He created this love and this sex and this intimacy. He created relationships and he knows how they work best. And so she has trusted in her God's wisdom and she has been protected. You see, love especially God's love, it is protective. It keeps us safe. And it is also persistent. And now we finally hear from the man. He finally turns up. Uh, chapter 8, verse 13. Uh, you who dwell in the gardens with friends in attendance. Uh, so the man arrives and he sees his, his wife, his beloved, talking with his friend, talking with her friends. And, and, and just like a, a, you know, you know, a husband might come home and uh, your wife's having a, a cup of tea with a friend and you might feel a little bit excluded uh, has she forgotten him? Does she still love him? Has she still got time to speak with him amongst her work and her children and her hobbies? Uh, but this guy, he's a good man. He's not insecure. He doesn't kind of crawl into his cave. He doesn't lash out. His love for her is persistent. He continues to seek her out. He says, uh, the last line of verse 13, he says to her, let me hear your voice. Let me hear your voice. He doesn't say, let me touch your body. He doesn't say, let me use you for my physical pleasure. No, uh, he, like we've seen before, he seeks connection with her. He wants connection with her. And she replies, verse 14, Come away, my beloved, and be like a gazelle, like a young stag on the spice-laden mountains. Uh, can you see what's going on here? It, it actually smashes all the stereotypes. Uh, he says, let's talk. She says, I'll let you fill in the blank as to what she has in mind as she kind of leads her husband by the hand to the bedroom. And then the Song of Songs ends. 
Uh, God's good wisdom for love, sex, and relationships. It's celebrated right to the very end. But we're not told what's happened, what happens next. We're not told what happens next. We, we, we don't know whether they're able to let this intimate moment bloom or whether the kids walk in at the most awkward of moments. We don't know if they ride off into the sunset or they have an argument about who left the toilet seat up. We just don't know what happens next. But we do know that it ends with this kind of unresolved desire. We see they've got all these feelings, all this intensity, all this longing, but we don't know if it's fulfilled. And that's actually good for us. That's exactly the, the way the book is meant to be written. And because there are some of us who sit here and we've heard a book of song, a, a, a sermon series on the Song of Songs, and we've heard it and we're feeling totally satisfied. Uh, marriage is good, our friendships are good, life is good, and you've been able to journey through Song of Songs saying amen to everything that's been said. But there's a whole bunch of us here, probably most of us, who have gone through the book of Song of Songs and the recurring feeling has been deep dissatisfaction. You're not happy with life is like, what life is like for you. You want something different to what you've got. And just so you know, like that's married people as well as single people feel that. You want something different to what you've got. And you have this frustration and this longing for more. Do you know what? The Bible says that dissatisfaction, that is true for all of us. No matter how good your relationships are now, no matter how good your work is, or no matter how good your experience of life in this world is, or your friendship or your marriage, no matter how good it is, you will be wanting more. You ought to be wanting more. God's Word says that we were designed for something more. You were made for, for more than just your job or your marriage or sex or, or your family or, or money or whatever. You're made for so much more than that. We were made for so much more, but yet we sell ourselves short. We say, if only I had, insert your heart's desire here, if only I had a spouse, if only I had a family, if only I had a home, if only I had a better job, if only I had more friends, if you had it, can I promise you, you will still be wanting more. The reason is because we were made to be in a loving relationship with our God. And he wants to be in a relationship with you. And that is the great love story of the Bible. The love story is that we have rejected God, but yet God has loved us. He has pursued us. And he has won us back through the sacrifice of his son. He has been persistent in loving us. And his love for us has been protective. And it's been jealous. He wants us only for himself. And God's love is permanent. It is an unquenchable fire. It is stronger than death. It goes beyond death. It's defeated death. And God wants us for himself. And he invites every single one of us to come out of the wilderness and come into a relationship with him. And he wants us to all know that permanent, protective, persistent love he has for us in Jesus. And when you experience that love, it changes you from the inside out. And so do you know that love? Have you come out of the wilderness? Because when you know and experience this love from God, then you'll be free from constantly wanting more. Only then will you have the joy and security and the identity and the Spirit of God in you so that you can love in the way that we see here. Permanent, protective, persistent. 
And when you let this love transform you, then the thing that you'll love most in the world, it won't be your spouse or your kids or your friends or even yourself. The deepest desire of your heart will be for him, the Lord Jesus. And you'll say, he is the one who gives me rest. He is the one who gives me meaning and identity. He is the one who gives me joy and peace. And this is the very heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, many people think Christianity is about doing things, uh, that Christianity is about coming to church. Now, being a follower of Jesus is all about desiring Him more than anything else. Desiring Him more than marriage, more than sex, more than sport, more than career, more than having children. Because being a follower of Jesus is to realize that He is wonderful and desirable above everything else. And so here at the end of Song of Songs, we finish with unresolved desire. You know, the whole Bible finishes with unresolved desire. In the book of Revelation, in the final chapter, we're given a pic- in the final chapters, we're given this picture of this glorious new creation of God being united to his people in this great wedding, uh, this hope of, of a future that is in store for those who follow Jesus. And in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, the Apostle John, he finishes with these words. He says, he who testifies to these things, that is Jesus. So Jesus says, yes, I am coming. Jesus says, I'm coming. And then John replies, amen, come Lord Jesus. Some of you might know the word Maranatha. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. You see, the promise of this final and ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction in Jesus, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Don't, don't get me wrong. You cannot be closer to Christ than you are today because if you're a Christian, you are in Christ. Yet we keep sinning. We experience physical separation from God. We live, as the God's Word says, we live by faith, not by sight. And so what is the Christian life? What is it to follow Jesus? Well, it's persistent love. Eagerly awaiting the wedding of Jesus and us. When all the aches and pains and gaps and loneliness and sin and tension are gone forever. Because on that wedding day with Jesus, we'll see our King. We'll see Him in all His beauty and glory. And so like the song of songs, the lovers here, we commit to, to persistent, protective, permanent love. Trusting God's Word and His good promises to us. And we join with the Apostle John saying, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the picture we've seen in it of your wisdom for love and relationships. Lord, we pray that we might love like these lovers do here in Song of Songs, that we might love in a way that is permanent, protective and persistent. But even greater than that, Lord, we pray that we might know your love for us in the Lord Jesus. That our greatest hope might not be in a relationship or experience, but that it might be our greatest hope is to know Jesus and to be with him. 
And Lord, we pray that the love that you've shown us in him might transform our lives and transform our hearts. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, If the band want to pop up, uh, we're going to respond to God's words uh, through the words of this next song. So please stand as we sing.